Rainmaker FM. Copy Blogger FM is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those of you who are selling physical products, digital downloads, or membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why more than 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. You can check it out by going to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. Hey there, it is so good to see you again. Welcome back to Copyblogger FM, the content marketing podcast. Copyblogger FM is about emerging content marketing trends, interesting disasters, and enduring best practices, along with the occasional rant. My name is Sonia Simone. I'm the chief content officer for Rainmaker Digital, and I like to hang out with the folks who do the heavy lifting over on the Copyblogger blog. You can always get extra links, free stuff, resources, and the complete show archive by pointing your browser to copyblogger.fm. So I am tickled to be here today with Jeff Goins, our friend and colleague and fellow compatriot in the content life. So Jeff, it's great to see you. Thanks uh, Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased. Um, so let's kick off. I think many people listening to the podcast um, are familiar with you, familiar with your work. But for those who oh. aren't, um, you know, just maybe give people a thumbnail of what you do and who you do it for and, and how you help people. Yeah, well, um, thanks. Uh, I am a writer. And so what I do is I basically write books and then teach online courses for writers and now creatives, uh, helping them use uh, things like online marketing to help them succeed and get the attention that their work deserves. That's what I do. Very cool. And you have um, a book out that I'm really enjoying and it's kind of probably sparked our conversation today. So um, could you let folks know the title and then just what, what is it about? Yeah, so uh, this book is called uh, Real Artists Don't Starve. It's my fifth book. And this is a book that I've wanted to write for probably five years, but didn't quite feel ready to write until recently. And it is a book that uh, attempts to bust up the starving artist myth. And I think whatever you do, as, as you could be a writer, uh, a designer, an entrepreneur, in just about any industry, uh, you can have a starving artist mindset, which means that you're going to, you know, kind of be apologetic for your work, dismissive of the possibility of succeeding at your quote unquote art, which I think, thanks to people like Seth Godin, most of us now understand that to go beyond, uh, the, the field of just, you know, the arts in a traditional sense. So yeah, this book is about how to take something that you're passionate about, stop apologizing for it and, uh, get paid what you're worth to do the things that you care the most about. 
Yeah, it's so it's so exciting. I've really been enjoying. Uh, I've, I'm about. I'm not all the way through it, so we're going to talk about all the parts I've already read. <laughs> but I'm really yeah, really cool. enjoying it. So some of these ideas I've I found really juicy and interesting for for quite a while. So I'm I'm thrilled to talk about them. Uh, and let's just kick off with you know we all know the starving artist. We all know what a starving artist is. We all know mm-hmm. you know especially those of us who might be writers or might be designers, graphic designers, or or a lot of kinds of freelance professional, there was always that don't quit your day job, you know, writers, writers <laughs> don't make any money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was an actor when I was in, when I was in high school and, you know, I, I didn't wow. stay an actor for kind of that reason. Although it was one of the greatest things yeah, I'm very happy that I was an actor. That was a, that was a great thing for me. You want to talk about a little bit about what you call the thriving artist and a few of the things maybe that make that difference, or if you you see a distillation about what makes a difference between the starving artist who has a certain kind of mindset and a certain kind of life that goes with it, and what you call the thriving artist. Yeah. So like you, Sonia, uh, I grew up doing a number of creative things, including acting and and directing in high school and college. I was in a band for uh, most of my youth from, you know, 16 years on through young adulthood. And after college, I uh, spent a year traveling with a music group. And uh, same deal, you know, I grew up hearing uh, mostly well-intentioned advice from friends, family members, teachers saying, hey, this is great. Do this while you're young because when you get older, there's not really a way to make a living as an artist unless you're like one of those really few lucky people. And I feel like this is fairly conventional advice even today. Uh, And yet uh, over the past five, six years um, as a full-time writer, I've been able to realize my dream of writing for a living, which is something I wanted to do for uh, a while and never really considered it a possibility. And then finally just made, uh, honestly, in part due to things I was learning uh, from copy blogger early on. I remember when, you know, the first uh, internet marketing for smart people uh, podcast came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I was like, well, okay, I can use the, these things that they're talking about and apply it to my desire to be a writer and made a go at it and it worked. But I was always kind of curious, like, did I get lucky? Mm. You know, um, was was I an outlier? Because this is kind of what we hear uh, that if you're a creative person, uh, and and that can apply to a lot of different fields, obviously, then you know you're probably not going to make as good a living as a lawyer, a doctor, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, unless you get really, really lucky. And yet, I kept running into people. Uh, particularly uh, online, uh, but also at conferences who were finding ways to create art, whether that was music, writing, uh, even creative entrepreneurship. Um, and, And they were doing their thing and they're killing it. And they weren't famous, they weren't rock stars, they weren't like, yeah. you know, billion billionaires, but they were thriving. You know, they were making a living off of their art, having fun, very happy, and, you know, not living month to month, paycheck to paycheck. And so I wrote this book to tell that other side of the story, the story of the thriving artist, which I now believe is um, – is and uh, and should be the norm for a creative person. And so the idea here 
and, and real artists don't starve is today with all of the opportunities that exist to help your creative work thrive, being a starving artist is a choice, not a necessary condition of doing your work. Yeah. And, and you spell out and we'll give you guys some links. Of course, um, if you pick up the book, you get the whole the whole good package. But um, we'll also give you some links to some pointers because there, there are some very specific uh, differences in in the way that you think. Um, but I, I, you know, I also think I mean, I came out of a, a fiction writing background as well. And yeah. and for a long time, there was really kind of one way to make a living as a fiction writer. And that's not true anymore. And I think that mm -hmm. sometimes um, some really interesting things can happen today because we have some different interesting options about mm -hmm. ways to make a living with our art, about ways that we can apply that art. It's not just find a gatekeeper, you know, get a hit record um, or publish a bestseller, you know, um, you know, that's still awesome, right? Publishers are still doing a good job for, for some writers, but there's other possibilities now. And um, a lot of what you're talking about seems to point to these new new options that we might keep open or might we might create, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you asked earlier, you know, what are sort of some differences between starving artists and thriving artists? And um, in the book, I kind of break it up into these three different parts beginning with mindset, then moving to market, kind of the social and marketing, you know, people side of, of uh, creative work, and then ultimately uh, money. But, you know, so like the way a thriving artist thinks and acts is um, markedly different from the way a starving artist thinks and acts. And, and I just, I, the way I uh, wrote this book was I started with this idea, like, do you have to starve? Uh, or, um, is is that more of a choice today? And as you mentioned, there are lots of different options. And um, yeah, there are still gatekeepers and there are still publishers and record companies. Uh, but like 50 years ago, even gosh, 25 years ago, um, these were the only avenues by which you could create for a living at a professional level. Uh, today, uh, we know that's not true. There are plenty of other opportunities and avenues. And what was interesting when I was doing the research, because basically the book is 12 rules of how to thrive in your creative work. And these 12 rules are the things that I observed that in the past 500 years of, you know, creative work. So looking at, uh, authors and artists and creative entrepreneurs, um, what are the things that creative people have always done that have helped them succeed? And, and then what are the things that people are doing today, um, that are, you know, continuing to work and, um, and, and how are they using the technology? and opportunities uh, with the internet um, to make the most of their work. And one of the things is um, uh, the idea of mastery, which you, which you yeah. touched on, yeah. where the starving artist thinks they have to master one craft. They have to be good at one thing, whereas the thriving artist masters many different crafts. And um, uh, Robert Greene actually talks about this in his book, Mastery, where he says, and I'm paraphrasing, the future belongs to people who can take different skill sets and combine them in interesting ways. 
So, I mean, even here, like, you know, his definition of mastery is not just one thing, but taking yeah. a few different uh, uncommon or unlikely things and, and marrying them. And even the people in history that we think, oh, like they got a big break, you know, say Michael Jackson, uh, when you dig a little bit deeper, the source of their success is a little bit more nuanced. Like uh, Michael Jackson, um, he he sort of fulfills this this rule of the portfolio, as I call it, where he's not just mastering one craft. Um, obviously, he was a successful musician, performer, uh, great dancer. Uh, but the majority of his net worth uh, was due to um, a business acquisition mm-hmm. where – uh, in the middle of his career, he bought, he purchased um, most of the Beatles' song catalog, yeah. bought all their songs for 40-something million dollars, and everybody in the music business thought he was crazy. And and he, the way he saw it, he's like, no, this is an artifact. This is a cultural heirloom. And today, that's worth over a billion dollars. And I mean, he wouldn't have done that if he was just focusing on his craft. And so there are all of these counterintuitive lessons uh, in, uh, I talked to a psychologist and she calls this a leaky filter, hmm. uh, which, you know, like, like the, the street term for that is distraction, you know? Right. And one of the things it takes in order for you to master many crafts is to have a leaky filter, which is basically figuring out how to harness your distractedness in a productive way. Another guy I talked to is Mark Frauenfelder, who, you know, has a long list of accomplishments from, you know, designing uh, album covers for Billy Idol to being, you know, the founding editor of Wired.com to founding and, and continuing to run Boing Boing. And I talked to him about this and he basically said, you know, for better or worse, like I can't stay focused on one thing. And you look at a guy like that who's continuing to produce really interesting uh, work in lots of different fields and you go, well, maybe distraction isn't always a bad thing. And, And so, you know, the book is full of ideas like this where some of the things that we were told about what it takes to succeed as a creative, like just do one thing. Uh, are not true and not helpful and almost counterproductive in this age that we're living today. Yeah, so it's just so fun. It's really, it's kind of just exhilarating, um, you know, to think about all the different, all the different possibilities. I Something I really like and appreciate about your work, about this book, um, is you don't, you don't kind of sugarcoat or dance around the need for mastery. Um, hmm. Because I think a lot of a lot of what we see today that's trying to speak to you know creative people, people who want to who want to create their own destiny, if you will. Um, there's a lot of oh, it's not really that hard, and you know right. it's it's going to be you're going to be able to do it like fast enough to be able to pay your mortgage right now, and it's just there's so much foolishness, and I appreciate people who say. Yeah, you know what? Mastery takes like you got to do the work. You know, there's not right. some not some magical way to get around. Now, what doing the work looks like might look really different than what you thought it did. So maybe you're not going to go to art school. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to be a painter, mm-hmm. um, there might be something different that you do. But you but you don't get to like somehow get out of really putting that time in to to master what you're doing at a high level. And 
I love that message because I think it's respectful to the the many people and the, the kind of people I think who like this podcast who have put the time in and who are still putting the time in, you know? And it's not this kind of like, oh, any orangutan with, you know, ADD can manage <laughs> this thing. I, you know, I, I like right. that. I respect that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think once you're in, you know, kind of in the little internet marketing world long enough, you realize that there's sort of two trajectories. One is, as you mentioned, hey, anybody, you know, with a with a brain and an internet connection can do this and it's easy. I mean, I, I see ads every day for you know, how to, how to, you know, launch your first six figure online course, even if you're not an expert. Right. right. And like, I think that, I think that's like bad. I think that's not a good idea. And uh, because like you shouldn't be teaching something if you're not some kind of expert at it to someone. And I get it. Like I understand. On the other hand, I don't, I'm not interested in the whole elitist mentality, good old boys club, where if you're not in the in crowd, if you're not part of, you know, our, our secret society, then, then you're just not going to do it. Um, but I think the danger is some of this stuff actually works for a while. right? Right. And, and so like you could like do these seven hacks and, you know, make a bunch of money online selling air and it works for a while, but I personally don't find that fulfilling. And, uh, the more I've, for instance, helped writers get the attention that they deserve through internet marketing, you know, uh, um, principles, I've realized, oh yeah, like I cannot assume that everybody is bringing the same basic level of preparation that I sometimes take for granted. And so I'm really passionate about helping people who are doing good work and have been doing good work for a long time get the attention and compensation that their work deserves. Because I think we both know that just because you're great at something doesn't necessarily mean that people will immediately notice it. And just because people are noticing what you're doing doesn't necessarily mean that you're great at it. But when you combine those greatness and, you know, how to, uh, get your work noticed by in many ways, ways, putting it in the right places where it can be found, then you've got, I think, um, a really good formula for sustainable success. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, there's so, there's so many pieces to it. Um, so much, one of which is just being willing to do it. I mean, one of your, Mm -hmm. one of your principles is just, you know, that starving artists, they hate money, right? They, they, Mm. any, anybody who makes money has to have sold out and, and done something unprincipled. You know, has to be producing right. not very good work for dumb for dumbos because that's the only way that <laughs> anybody can make money. Um, right. And as long as you hold on to that, or or you know, the what what I see a lot is people who have great little businesses. They do a great, often a great service, but they're so allergic to marketing. They hate every form of marketing. They hate every. Everything that looks or smells or sounds like it could be a marketing message, they run away from. And so nobody ever gets the benefit of that service. Nobody ever finds out about it. And there are options that are not, you know, marketing is not a synonym for lying. (laughs) It is for some people, (laughs) but, you know, it doesn't have to be. Um, And so, but, you know, that you do have to sometimes you have to change how you think about things or how you see things 
in order to get to the next point. And that's, I don't diminish how how difficult that can be. Because, you know, for some people, that's the hard part is to, to see it in a new way so you can start to be maybe a little more effective or take a different kind of action than you've been taking. Um, and of course, always doing it, you know, in a way that is principled. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want anybody to do sleazy things or lie or anything like that. That's, that would be crazy. But sometimes we have to challenge how we feel about things. And that's one of the hardest things anybody can do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about, I have a, I just have so many, um, notes here. I'm going to, I'm going to highlight a quote because I feel like this was a, I feel like this was a theme and I think it's a theme of your work that I, I really enjoy. Uh, and this one happens to be about, uh, an actress, an actor, I guess is what we say, named Tia Link. Yes. Um, Mm about building a bridge in the direction of her dream. And you were just, you know, talking about how she made a transition from being an attorney to being an actor. But that sentence I highlighted and then I wrote it down in my notebook because I think that's a lot of the work is to build the bridge, not leap and the net will appear, which is one of my least favorite sentences ever. Um, you know, my rephrase is, is leap and the floor will appear. You know, it's, I have seen bad things happen. Um, but I love that building a bridge in the direction of a dream. That's a beautiful metaphor. And I think it's very constructive. I think that's really something people can do something with. So maybe, I don't know, you know, I mean, thoughts on that about, because I think it really speaks to risk. It really speaks to that fundamental question yep. of risk. Do I risk everything? Do I roll the dice? And you have some nice numbers in there about this myth that people who start businesses, for example, have to be risk takers. That's not that's not right. necessarily at all true. But do you have any thoughts on on managing the risk? You know, should we should we risk it all to follow our dream and do we have to? No. I love that question because I agree with you. Leap in the net will appear makes for a really cool Instagram quote. Mm. Um, But it is intellectually dishonest because we all know that sometimes we fail. And, uh, you know, go big or go home. There's all these sort of survival stories of people, particularly in business, who basically say, I bet the farm and it worked out. And what we don't hear about is, you know, for the one person that succeeds, the 99 who didn't. And I just think generally it's a bad strategy. And and I think that because for years I was listening to gurus essentially say this. And um, I learned in many cases that wasn't actually precisely what they were doing. They Mm -hmm. were taking risks, but they were taking smaller risks. And then one day, you know, some big thing happened, but it was often after years and years of practice and slowly uh, building momentum. But my life in, you know, many ways uh, leading up to what I'm doing now was basically, you know, I would go big and then I'd go home, (laughs) you know, like I felt, (laughs) I, I felt the floor (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, in every aspect of life in college, I wanted to ask this girl out. I was timid of girls. I had one girlfriend in high school and then I went to college and I wanted to ask this girl out and I, uh, sort of, uh, delayed doing it for an entire year, procrastinating doing it. And finally, a couple of my friends said, dude, you gotta, you gotta do it. You know, like 
get it. Go big or go home. And and I, I said, well, maybe I'll just call her. They're like, no, man. Like, do something big and audacious. And so I did what I think any self-respecting, you know, college male with a guitar in the corner of his dorm room would do. I wrote this girl a song, you know, and I spent a week composing it and memorizing the lyrics. And then one day I knock on her, her dorm room and um, she opens the door and there's a room full of people uh, that are now staring at me because she was having a party. And I'm standing there with the guitar in the threshold deciding, should I play the song for her or not? And I decide uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And and for the next 90 seconds, I, you know, play this show in the, in the dorm room. And um, and then the song ended with me asking her to the school dance. And I locked eyes with her and she looked at me and everybody looked at her. And then she said, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and then something worse happened. I I did I didn't go. I didn't leave. Oh dear. I I don't I don't know why. I don't know what was broken in my brain that day <laughs> that I thought somehow it would be less awkward to play a song, get rejected, and join the party that I was not invited to mm. um, than just playing a song, getting rejected, and leaving. But that's what I thought, and that's what I did. And for like, I went and like sat on a stool, oh, and I knew yeah. some of these people. They were my friends, but I didn't know her very well. And I just kind of tried to mingle in the crowd. And after 10 unbearably awkward uh, minutes where people are looking at me kind of askew and, and going, what are you doing here? And me kind of playing it off like it's no big deal. Like I do this, you know, every day. And this is just another stop on my college dormitory rejection tour. I finally get up and excuse myself and, and leave. And man, like that hurt. And it yeah. would be a long time before I ever did something so bold and audacious for a girl again. And over the years, <laughs> I learned that I think girls like big, audacious things, but I think they respect and appreciate even more you, for instance, talking to them and getting to know them, <laughs> which are things that I I sort of overlooked, uh, uh, you know, for this year of obsessing about this girl before I asked her out. Anyway, so, yeah, I think um, – it's unnecessary and uh, the statistics in, in uh, business actually are playing against you. There was a study at the University of Wisconsin at Madison uh, where a couple of researchers uh, conducted this study uh, for um, 15 years and they followed 5,000 entrepreneurs who – um, either took the leap, uh, or quit, you know, and quit their day jobs to, to start a business or, um, they, uh, they kept their jobs and started a business on the side. So it's sort of like a, a split test. Here's a group that are risk takers and here's a group that are more risk averse, but they both start businesses and, and they looked at the success of these businesses over the course of, uh, 15 years. And it turns out that the risk takers who quit their jobs were much more likely, 33% more likely to fail than the ones who didn't. And uh, this is precisely what Tia does. Uh, and so many other people that I talk to, I think most successful people who have thriving creative businesses, this is what they've done. This is what I did. I kept waiting for some big break where I could bet the farm and I realized, oh, this is just work. And I've, if I have a dream, I have to get up every day and not take a leap, but build a bridge, slowly do something that over time creates a massive amount of, of momentum that once it's built is really, really hard 
to slow down. Uh, another story in the book is uh, about how John Grisham got started as a writer. Yeah. He didn't start with some big idea. I want to be a novelist. I'm going to be, you know, uh, like <laughs> one of the best-selling uh, writers of my time. Instead, uh, he's also a lawyer and he's a new dad, uh, which means very busy person. And he just has this idea that maybe he could write something. And the first step is not to quit his job. It's not to tell his wife that you know, he's going to go become a novelist. His first job is to sort of test that idea. And so what he does is he goes to the office a little bit early every day and writes one page. And he does this for two years before he finishes his first novel. And then he sells it to a small publisher. It doesn't do very well. But it, that was so much fun. And he realizes, hey, I can do this. So he starts the next novel, still practicing law, still raising kids, still you know being a, a dad and a husband and honoring all of his other responsibilities and just slowly building this dream on the side, uh, continuing to not make big bets, but lots of small bets on himself. Another thing that he does is he takes, he buys a thousand copies of his own book and starts kind of marketing it, it himself. And then when the second book is done, he's able to, after 40 rejections, sell it to a major publisher. And then that book is the firm and becomes a mega bestseller. And now he can go be a full-time novelist four years in the making. And this more often than not is the way that we make a big dream succeed. Not all at once, not overnight, uh, but just this slow and steady progression towards, uh, towards an idea, towards something that you want to create. It takes time and it's different for everybody, but I find so many people have some big dream and they think the first step is for them to go quit their jobs. Right. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to write, I want to start a business. I want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I just answered this question on Facebook the other day where somebody said, Hey, can you help me write a letter to my family so that they can give me a trust fund so that I can go be a full-time musician? (laughs) And, and, And the caveat to this was because an hour a day is just not enough for me. Right. And I, I was like, no, I can't help you with that. Don't have any experience with trust funds. Don't don't quite like, <laughs> or rich I, like I don't, have a, or, I don't yeah. have a fake answer for this. Like here's how to write a letter, you know, to, you know, get your your trust fund. Nope, don't don't know how that works, but what I would implore you to consider is that um an hour right now needs to be enough. Right? If you're banking your success on the hope that you, if you have more time, you'll be able to do a better job. That's that's a big gamble, and and an hour is a long time. Most uh, of of my friends and and people that I know that are very successful in lots of different fields, this is how they started their thing: thirty to sixty minutes uh, a day on the side, early mornings, late nights, and then you know you just kind of grab whatever little time that you have, and and you and you just kind of keep drip by drip. Um, putting the work in and it adds up and and this is how you typically get to where you want to go not by betting big going big but by um, building a bridge as I say yeah yeah really cool all right well there's a lot to this book and you guys should just go read the book so <laughs> that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna gonna close this on just because there's so many ideas um, but it is very rich and it is I think it gives a, a necessary corrective to a lot of our uh, myths, I think particularly myths in the U.S., you know, where we have we have ideas about what success looks like and they're a little bit fictional. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like there's another side of the story, you know, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, 
And I just, I feel like you're right. I mean, particularly in the U.S., particularly in North America and Western culture, um, it's driven by a lot of media. Um, you know, it's just kind of the story of the rock star who risked everything and and had some big break, and it was you know all about hard work and luck. And there's a whole other side of the story of people who are thriving in their art who um, are doing things that don't necessarily look super exciting or sexy, but they have, uh, they're thriving in their work and they've got sustainable success. And that whole other side of the story, which is like, you know, you're going to have to starve for this unless you're one of the lucky ones. I just see all these bodies, you know, like all this um, carnage of people that believed this myth and now they're left feeling disillusioned. The reason I wrote this book is to say, you can thrive off of your creative work and here's a, a way to do it that maybe you haven't heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Beautiful. Well, thank you. This has just been, um, it's such a fun topic. I, we could totally like just sit down over some very tall caffeinated beverages and talk about this for a very long time. But um, yeah, pick up, pick up the book, Real Artists Don't Starve. Um, any particular way that's helpful to you for people to do that or just run into their local bookstore? Or what's the what's the best way for people to find it? All the ways wherever you want to pick it up is totally fine. Um, it's, you know, available on Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, you name it. Um, and if you do pick up a copy of the book, be sure to go to don'tstarve.com. Uh, we've got some bonuses there um, that you get, including we've got a private community of people who are reading the book, talking about it, and, um, you know, finding ways to help each other. I've got uh, – I interviewed hundreds of thriving artists, and I have some of those um, full – length interviews uh, as a bonus and then there's like a workbook um, you know because the book is a lot of stories as I've shared here and often when I read a big idea book like this I go well what now what do I do and um, that comes free with the book and it's at don'tstarve.com that is very awesome All right, well Jeff thank you Um, it's been a treat always a treat and Mm. um, yeah thank you guys if any of these ideas resonate do go check it out um, I think you're really going to appreciate it. So, Jeff, thank you. Good talking to you today. Thank you, Sonia. It's my pleasure. 